Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, I'll read verses 1 through 6. And Jesus says here in the upper room to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. As I said this morning, we were at the Reformed Baptist Family Conference this week. Pastor Jeremy Walker gave four messages on traveling along the way. And this morning, I summarized the first two of those messages. This evening, I summarized the last two. This evening's message is concerning getting in, getting in the way or the entrance into the way that leads to eternal life. The Christian already has eternal life at work in us. Jesus says that we have passed out of death and into life. We already are in possession if we believe in the Lord Jesus. We are in possession already of eternal life. Eternal life is already at work in us. When we die, we Do not gain something that we have never known. When we die, we enter into the fullness of what we have already received by his grace. Eternal life is what each one of us should desire. And Jesus here, in verse 6, the first thing we want to see is the person who speaks to us. In verse 6, he said, I am The way, those first two words, I am, imply his claim to deity that he is the eternal Son of God. The words, I am, are those that are linked back to what God said to Moses at the burning bush when Moses asked him, what is your name? And the Lord said, I am, Jehovah is his name the eternal, all-sufficient God, and Jesus takes this name to himself in the Gospel of John especially. Before Abraham was, he says, I am. I am the one who has always from eternity been in existence. In John's Gospel, he says, I am the bread of life which has come down from heaven. He says, I am the light of this world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. So he speaks to us, I am. And so we should listen to him. 
He is the great and mighty God. He is eternal. He knows all things. He has divine authority. And if there is anyone that we should listen to as he speaks to us, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the great I am, as he speaks to us in this passage tonight. He is the God-man who has come down from heaven among us. The first thing he says is, I am the way. I am the way back to God, is what he means. I am the way back into eternal life. The way that you have lost and cannot find in yourself. I am the way that can bring you back to the Father and to eternal life. He means, I am the way through all of my person, my glorious person as the Son of God, and I am the way through my great work of salvation by my perfect life of righteousness that you need to stand before God, and by my blood that cleanses you from all of your sin, I am the way. The apostle in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 and 20 says this, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. So Jesus is the way. He tells us two other things. The second thing he says here is that I am the truth. He is the true way back to the Father. And everything that Jesus says is a word of truth. Everything that he says from his mouth is the truth. And we may rest our souls completely and entirely upon him. John chapter 6 and verse 32, he said, I am the true bread. He said, it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2. He is a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. And so Christ is the truth. The tabernacle of the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the wilderness was but an image, a shadow. And Christ is the fulfillment and the truth of that tabernacle. He came in human flesh, and dwelt among us and tabernacled among us. He is the truth. We live in this world that is so filled with lies all around us. But there is truth to be found in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual and saving truth. It is all found in him. And then he says, and I am the life He means, I am eternal life. John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus prayed, This is eternal life, that you may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Back in John chapter 11 and verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
and he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So Christ is the way back to God the Father. Christ is the truth in this world, and Jesus Christ is the only one who can give us eternal life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And all of these things seem so contrary to the circumstances that Jesus was in at this time when he spoke these words. And they seem contrary to what men were saying about him. He said, I am the way, though I am about to go to a cross. He said, I am the truth, though men will call me a liar and a deceiver. He said, I am the life, though I am about to pass through death. I am the way and the truth and the life, though all things around me and what men say about me seem so contrary to these things. Every person must find Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Every one of us individually, every one of us personally must find him to be the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one else who can give these things to us. Only he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we must find him to be the great Savior. The prodigal son went off into the far country and he wasted himself in profligate living. And then when he finally came to his senses, he knew that he had to find the way back to God and he knew that he could return to him and he found Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life. Adam in the Garden of Eden, he had all these things from creation. When he was in his innocence in the Garden of Eden, Adam knew the way. He had fellowship and communion with God. He had most intimate and close fellowship with God as God would come and walk with him in the cool of the day in the garden. Adam knew the way to God. Adam had truth, the truth of who God is, and Adam had knowledge of God, and Adam had eternal life in that Garden of Eden. But Adam, the first Adam, he lost the way, the truth, and the life. And so here we are now, we do not have the way ourselves, and we do not know the truth or the life, but Christ has regained what Adam has lost. And Jesus Christ now has Come to us, and he is the way and the truth and the life. It is all found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says at the end of verse 6, he says, No one comes to the Father but through me. Now this Part of this verse has been often viewed as negative, often viewed as exclusionary, but it is really positive and a great blessing that Jesus Christ gives us these words at the end of verse 6. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
He is not here trying to exclude anyone from the way of salvation. He is rather trying to show men how they can, with certainty, find their way back to God. He is trying to channel us into the right way. If there was only one way of blessing, would you not want someone to tell you what that one way is? And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is not trying to exclude anyone. He is trying to make sure that men enter into the right way. He is not trying to limit those who wish to come. He is trying to ensure that they find the way, that they find the truth, and they find eternal life. There will be others who will come and say that they know the way, they know the truth, they know the life. But Jesus says, no, I am the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and this is the only way of your return back to the Father. If you rely upon yourself and your goodness, then you cannot come to this way because this is a way of dependence only on Jesus Christ and what he has done and him alone. Foul to the fountain, I must fly to be cleansed of all my sins only in Jesus Christ. Nothing in our hands can we bring but clinging to his cross only. That is the only way of salvation. Salvation is not found in our efforts. It is not found in our goodness or in our trying to reform ourselves. It is not found in serving. It is not found in more learning. It is not found in our trying harder. It is found in trusting in Jesus and in Jesus Alone, I am the way and the truth and the life. Exclusivity, exclusivity makes something desirable. If someone were to say to you, I have an exclusive deal for you. An exclusive Vacation package to a most wonderful destination. Would you not feel somewhat honored that this exclusive deal has been offered to you? This is what Jesus offers to all men. That's what he is offering here. He is not limiting anyone. This is an exclusive offer that is given to every sinner. Whoever wishes may come. I am the way and the truth and the life. And it is exclusive. No one comes to the Father except by me. So you must abandon all other hope. You must leave your sins behind You must give up all hope in your own good efforts and you must come to God through Jesus Christ alone. All who come to God come through Jesus. And all who come to Jesus are brought 
to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So here in this passage we see what it is to get in the way, the entrance into the way, which is found only in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the second place tonight, as we continue to consider traveling along the way, we want to consider the end, the end of the way. And we'll turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and I'll read the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in My imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There are three adjectives by which we might describe Christians. Joyful, hopeful, and thankful. All Christians at all times should be joyful, hopeful, and thankful. And the Apostle Paul is joyful, hopeful, and thankful in this letter. This is one of his prison letters. He was in a prison in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. And yet, even in those difficult and dark circumstances of the Roman prison, Paul could be joyful, hopeful, and thankful. And so he shows us that whatever our circumstances may be in all of life, we can be joyful, hopeful, and thankful because of the grace of God and the great salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us. We are miracles here tonight of God's work. Every one of us who is a believer in Jesus Christ, we are miracles. We are each a miracle of grace. 
Because we were once dead, dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are alive with Christ. That's a divine and mighty miracle. Each one of us is a miracle. We were dead and then we were made alive, and tonight we are still alive in Jesus Christ. We were dead, we were made alive, and now he continues to keep us in life. That is a miraculous work of mighty God in each one of us. We are all miracles of grace who believe in Jesus. In verse 6 here, Paul looks forward to the end of the way and it stirs him up to continue to press forward to the end of the way. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now this was a prison epistle, as I mentioned. One of the later letters of Paul. And he is here anticipating the end of his life coming. And what does it do to him? It stirs him up to press on, to lay aside those things of the past and to press on toward the end of life and into the eternal kingdom of God. When we have a runner who runs a marathon and then he comes to the end of his race, what does he do in the last 100 yards of the race? He runs with all of his strength to the very end. There was a runner one time and he ran so fast at the end of the race. Someone asked him, how could you, why did you run so hard at the end of the race? And the man said this. He said, I'm so close. I was so close to the finishing line. I could not help myself but to run with all my might. And that's the way it should be in the life of a Christian. We get near the end of life. We do not look back and say, well, we have been a great distance, and so let us now coast and take it easy to the very end and become sloppy and different and careless in our Christian life. No, we ought to be like that Olympic runner. We have run a long distance, but now we are closer to the end And so we should stir ourselves up to finish well. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter. So we look at verse 6 for a few moments tonight. The first thing we want to see is the nature of God's work. This speaks of his work, the nature of the work. It is called a good work. He who began a good work in you. It is, of course, a good work. It must be a good work. It is most definitely a good work because it is God's work. And every work that God does, it must be good. Everything about this work is most wonderful. This statement, a good work, is an understatement because it is a most excellent, glorious, and wonderful work. All God's works are wonderful, but this work of salvation is above all the rest. It is certainly a good work. 
What he does in this work is he takes those who deserve no good and he bestows upon them the highest possible good that there could ever be. He begins to conform us to his son, Jesus Christ. He changes us and he transforms us into his image. He says, it is a good work in you. There's the place where the work began in you. This is regeneration. This is God bringing dead sinners to life. This is him giving a new heart. It is an inward work that began in us. It is a good work that began in us. And the Christian now is one who does good in a very real sense. Not perfect, not perfect, but good. The Christian is good in this world through the work of God in us. Our attitudes have changed. Our motives, our desires. We are not what we once were. We are moving forward toward what we shall be in the future. Every believer is God's good work. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is the nature of the work, that it is a good work. The second thing we see is the origin of this work. Where did this work come from and who began the good work? It is God, he, who began a good work in you. We cannot, we could never be the ones who began this good work in us. We have no good in us. And that which has no good cannot be the source of creating any good. The good must come from outside of us, and that's where it comes from, from God, who alone is good, and he is the one who began the the good work in us. Life does not come from the dead. Life must come from outside the dead to raise the dead. And so it is with us who have no good. The good work must begin from him who is outside of us. Philippines 2 and verse 13, he says, God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. (coughs) James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father above with whom there is no shifting or changing shadows. Every good thing is from him. If our salvation rested upon anything in us, then we would have no hope. If it rested on our beginning it, it would lose its strength. If it rested upon anything that we have, we would be lost. It all begins with God And so it will last, and he will accomplish it by his divine power and his grace in us. The third thing we see here is the certainty of the work. He knows how to begin and how to advance 
and how to complete his works. He who began a good work in you will perfect it. He will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the great God knows how to begin his works. He knows how to advance his works, and he knows how to bring his works to their final completion. He is a master craftsman with infinite skill and ingenuity. He never grows weary. He is never confused in everything that he does. He knows how to work all things out for good to those who love him and are called according to his eternal purpose to conform us to the image of his son. He works effectually. He is working in each one of us tonight individually and his work is perfect and it is effectual and it is irresistible. And it will come to its completion in each one of us in different ways, by different circumstances and trials and troubles and needs. He is working in us different blessings, joys. He is working in us, each one of us, for our eternal good. He is like a master sculpture who must take us and with the hammer, the chisel, he must make a few more touches upon us to bring us to the completion. He is like a master woodworking man who must sand us just a little more until he brings us to our final perfection. He must give the final details as he brings us through life. This is not to diminish the great process of life in which there is sanctification, that long process that we feel, and often it feels like such a great struggle. We do not diminish that. But the great work has begun. He who began the work in you Conversion, regeneration, and new life and new birth. He has already begun that great work. And having already accomplished that, now he has the finishing touches that he must carry out until he brings us to the final end. Spurgeon said this in regard to conversion. He said, Niagara has already been reversed. That's what happened in our conversion. The great flow, the mighty flow of the river Niagara, it has been reversed and sent back in the other direction. And that's what took place in our conversion. A new heart, a new mind, the indwelling Holy Spirit was given to us. Niagara has been reversed. And we are now alive. And we need a little more here. And a little more there for a little while longer. And then we enter in to this glorious perfection. If God has begun the work, then he will complete it. If he has given life, 
then he will continue it. Which is harder? Which is harder? To give the dead man life or to keep the man who is alive? Continue to keep him alive. Which is harder? To give the dead life. And that's what he has already done. If he has begun the work, then surely he will complete the work and finish it. If he has put us on the way, then he will bring us to the end. So we have the certainty of his work that is given to us here. I am confident, Paul says, I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Our deepest trials he uses to conform us to Christ and to continue his good work in us. This is something so hard for us to realize. There, we, some of us can pass through years in our lives wishing that some trial that is heavy upon us would simply be removed. If only it could be taken off of me, then everything would be fine. No. That very trial is the chisel, the hammer, the sanding paper of the master craftsman. And he is the one who is using it. And it is a great blessing in that sense to bring about his work to perfection. It strengthens our faith. We know our dependence by it. And he uses it to lead us to the end. And we are closer to the end now tonight than when we first began. The end of the way is seen here in the day of Christ Jesus. The day of his great return from heaven. The day when all of his glory will be manifested and he will come back from heaven on his glorious throne with all the holy angels and all the majesty and power of God. Some people, when they do their work, they procrastinate and they wait until the last moment to get the work done when the deadline comes. This is not God's way as he works his perfect, perfect salvation in each one of us. He is in no rush. He is always at work in us. Even when we do not see it and are unaware of it and have no sense of it, he is still always at work in his people. The sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We will bear the image of Christ in the end, the image of the heavenly. All of our conflicts, all of our trials, battles, death itself will be conquered. We will see him as he is and we will be like him on that day. This world is passing away. All things in this life will soon come to an end. All men are moving toward this great goal. All the sons of men will be there on this day. 
and now for a little while, he must give us a few more taps of his hammer and a touch of his brush. And soon, as Paul says in verse 21 and 23, we will be with Christ, (coughs) which is very much better. But to be with Christ after death, it is very much better, but it is not the end at the day of Christ Jesus because we will not have our bodies with us. We will be in what is called the intermediate state with our souls alone with Christ. Our bodies will be asleep in the grave. But then on the last day, the day of Christ Jesus, as he mentions back in verse 6, when Jesus returns, then will be the resurrection and our bodies and souls will be united together and there will come the final end and the final glory of God's great work in which our souls are made perfect after the image of Christ. Our bodies are transformed into the body of his glory and body and soul we are made perfect forever. So what does Paul say as he thinks upon this great end that is to come? He tells us in chapter 3 and verse 12 and 13. (coughs) He says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the attitude of the Apostle Paul as he was so confident that as God began the good work in us, he will perfect it in the day of Christ Jesus. This was Paul's attitude. He was stretching forward, reaching forward toward the goal and pressing toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So as we close tonight, to the unbeliever who does not know Jesus, we can say this, that this work of God that we mentioned and this work that we have spoken of here, it is a work that God delights to begin in sinners. It is not one that he wishes to withhold from men, but he calls all to repentance and faith to see themselves as sinners who need a Savior, those who have broken his law and brought themselves under his judgment and need to be freed from his judgment against them. And those who do and turn to him, he will begin this good work in them. And then he will perfect it through all of life until the very end. And so the invitation is given to all men, to all men to come to Jesus and find him to be the way and the truth and the life. Let us pray together. Our Father and gracious God tonight,
Thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you that you have begun your good work in us. Bless the word to us that we have heard. Use it to strengthen us and encourage us and to press on toward the calling of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you to be at work in everyone and that those who do not know you would come to find the Lord Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life. We ask that you would hear us now tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.